If I am to take you there, there are some things that you should know. The first is that this method of travel is not precisely safe. Moving through the planescape can have perils of its own. The second is that where you are going is not our world. This concept appears simple enough to comprehend, but I assure you, it is not. It is a desolate place with no greenery whatsoever, and if you happen to find yourself on the surface, instead of in the subterranean caves, the winds whirl so loudly that they will drive you deaf at best. It is truly unlike anything you have ever experienced. The gravity pulls away from the center of the plane so aggressively that only miles from the center you will gain the ability to walk on walls, and farther away the concept of up and down will become completely alien. I can get you to Pandasmos, but it is in ruin. Do not stay on the surface for long. You will not be able to communicate verbally, and fire in any form cannot exist due to the howling winds. The layer below, Cococtus, is a terror that cannot be described. The raging winds carry the cries of sorrow and anguish, and I, myself, have lost a companion to madness there. In the third layer, Philegeton, there is a river that flows through the sky. For miles and miles it does not touch the ground. The rock is so dark that light will not reflect upon it. Agathion? Well, do not go to Agathion. The third thing you should know is to beware of the locals. Among its citizens you may count old or forgotten gods and one or two who have yet to be forgotten. Do not trifle with them, they are quick to violence. However, if I were you, I would put more effort into those that will stalk you upon your visit. Demons, quasits, any number of wandering spirits and living shadows, and the beast we only speak of as a howler. They appear as beasts, four-legged and spined backs with stout heads, but they are smart and very dangerous. They will attack in a pack, even if you only see one. Especially if you only see one, there will be more. They will hide and ambush you when the terrain favors them, and when it does, they will unleash their eponymous howl. It will shake your resolve, weaken your knees, pierce your heart, and rattle your mind. You will feel it throughout your entire being, and then, when you are confused and panicked, they will attack mercilessly. Are you confident that you would still like to experience this particular adventure? Some of you will not be coming back. Hey there creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Alright everybody, welcome listeners old and new to another wonderful, wonderful, is it going to be wonderful? I hope it's going to be wonderful episode of Encounter This, episode 53, Howlers, where James, a Megabytes kid, as he's well known, will bring us through this creature with me co-hosting, of course, and my classic childhood nickname, Freeman Spike Easton. Uh, and if you want to follow along, 
join us with uh, join us on the uh, page two hundred and ten of Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes for this ridiculous creature that I literally know nothing about. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is a, an odd creature um, for for a great many reasons. Uh, it it it's it almost comes off chimeric, but uh, uh, we'll we'll get into that or okay. not. I guess depending on how relevant you feel it is. Okay. Uh, did you say howlers? Did you say that we're doing the howler? I did. We're, we're doing did the say, howler. Yes, I did say howlers. I, I I purposely pluralized it. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but okay. No, I just written here as a plural. I, I don't. I I had some time to drink while I was waiting for you. So. <laughs> I you were waiting for me because I had been drinking, so this would be a good one. <laughs> Perfect. Good luck, listeners. <laughs> As we are wont to do, we're going to start this one off with a quote to to put things. I don't want to say into perspective because it's certainly not going to do that, but to set the tone, I guess. All right, cool. I love. I just before you do, I do love when one of us decides to do one of the quotes from the book or whatever because we don't pick. The shitty ones. We always pick something that's really, really good, <laughs> really gritty. So yeah, um, the last episode I did Oni. The intro was a quote from the the from the dungeon uh, from the monster manual. So oh, was it like the exposition? Yeah, the exposition. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that nursery rhyme. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, I don't know if it's out yet, so you might not have heard it. But I, I, I off key sung a nursery rhyme to another off key oh, song, and it just okay. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> Amazing. So as of this recording, it will be out, but, uh, or sorry, as of yeah. uh, the listeners listening to this recording, but as of, as of us recording it, no, not so much. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, cool. I hope you got that, listeners. We've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, hit me with your quote. What do you got? Why does the howler sing? Doing so cause its prey to flee, and surely stealth would make for better hunting in howling pandemonium. There's only one answer. It can taste fear. And that's from Ooh. the big man, Morden Kanan himself. All right. <laughs> taste fear. We're not, uh, we're not unfamiliar with creatures that uh, feed off fear, I suppose. Um, tasting it, what, in the air, I suppose? Something like that? That, that sounds pretty awesome. I think so, yeah. Um, it's <laughs> That's kind of where that ends. Okay, let's just imagine it's got a really, really uh, uh, delicate palate for salty air when you're sweating and with nervousness. Right, that that actually would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are pack predators native to Pandemonium, as I'm sure you picked up on from the, uh, from the mm-hmm. quote. They are called howlers due to their mind-shattering howl. Pretty self-explanatory. Surely. They are about... 2.4 meters or 8 feet long, and they're the same tall, so they're very boxy. Oh, that is strange. Okay. Yeah, and they weigh 910 kilos or about one ton, which is the same weight as a 1979 Volkswagen, which I just threw in the chat. <laughs> okay. Or exactly yeah. five megabytes of data in the year 1956, <laughs> which I also just threw to the chat. Uh, all of our Instagram feed is going to be gold for this one. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a photo of a man taking down a mainframe from a plane with a forklift. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. It is amazing. 
So these uh these these guys are weird. So they have these crushed and bruised forelegs that end in claws on their front feet and hooves in their back feet. Okay. And they have a mane of quills with a simian esque face. Quills. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so if you look at the two E and the three or sorry, the three and the four E art respectively, they really show these quills. Um the five E yeah. kinda yeah, I mean it's very they're they're very porcupine esque, big time. Yeah, and the other ones, um, they seem a little bit more like vestigial appendages in the five E art. They definitely do something that that might be used for like detection of of their surroundings, or maybe you know almost like dimetrodon kind of kind of thing without the fin or the webbed oh, fin, like back whiskers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Back whiskers. <laughs> well, that's just a weird phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So they call my. So they call the hair on my shoulders from now on. So I'll be all back whiskers. <laughs> I'm sure your friends and family will very appreciate that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in the five E art specifically, it it doesn't come up in any of the other art, but they have this red, bloated, and inflated vocal sac. Um, directly below the jowls that leads uh, about halfway down their neck. So I don't think this is uh, reflected mechanically anywhere, but I think it's just a straight-up new addition to the art of 5th edition. They were just like, you know what, we'll give it a vocal sack. Uh, they are decidedly less simian in this artwork, I find, as well, the 5e, compared to the others, at least, with that think? sack. I think so. The sac- I think the sack really pulls away from it. In a way, the okay. jaw is like far less defined, and I feel like that's a pretty important part. It gives them a much more reptilian or right. amphibian kind of look. Um, I would disagree with you. How dare you? Uh, that's not that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, but I, I also legitimately own a book on skulls. Oh well, you know, show me the skull, and uh, maybe I'll agree. So I I just sent you a simian skull in the. Uh, Oh, yeah. This look at is that. a Verret monkey skull, the image that I just right. sent you. Okay. I guess it's, uh, I mean, if we're talking s- skull structure, then yeah, I'm with you. But we're not looking at a skeleton. We're looking at a creature. So it's, you know, I don't know. With all that flesh and everything on top, I just, I, I, I attribute probably simian-like as a descriptor, not to the skeletal system as much as the actual uh, living structure, maybe if that makes sense. Uh yeah okay that's fair I don't know if that's appropriate of me to do but <laughs> the shape of the face is kind of defined by the skull but I I see where you're coming from and I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about in in yeah. this one the nose looks a little more um it almost looks like it has a snout where I don't think that's the case right. due to the overextension of the, mm-hmm. the 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 muscle between the top and the lower jaw there yeah um, because of the the howling sex so I think it is actually still pretty flat faced um. Mm-hmm. It's just just the art um, makes it look more like a snooty. Yeah, yeah. Neither here nor there is it. <laughs> Not really. No. Um, this, this segment is for those who follow on Instagram. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but they are uh, they're surprisingly intelligent creatures, as we tend to find with these uh, dog like creatures. They rely on numbers, speed, and the howl that is their namesake. So. 
it's said that they actually feed on the fear of their victims. So I began to think about that, and I thought maybe they just eat the corpses to inspire fear in the remaining living. They don't actually need them for nourishment. Oh, okay. So I, I could not figure out a, uh, figure out another reason why both of those things would be true. So, I, I mean, I get the chimeric aspect, at least at this point. You know, they are quadrupeds, simian-like faces with porcupine quills, and they howl like... Uh, a dog might, or what have you. So, while not maybe not technically chimeric, I, I get it. Yeah, and at least in the the two, uh, sorry, the three and the forty art, they have these weird double jointed back legs too that I've you don't see very often. Mm-hmm. The the two e art is just just a just a mess. It feels like a totally different creature. It does, yeah. It look it looks like a creature I really want to know more about, <laughs> but it's it's completely different, you know. Yeah, like theme going on there. Even the, the the sort of fingers on it, they're not really like paws or claws. They they actually look quite amphibian in in a claw. They have claws on them, but they have this weird extending sort of like weird, almost like big round padded note to them, like a frog would. Yeah, and these like long reptilian tails you're right it's very smooth yeah oh well uh so they have uh, we've got a couple of techniques here that they use in combat usually if you if you're about to encounter one you will hear it so they're almost always heralded by the sound of their whale even through the weather on pandemonium so one of the things i learned while researching this episode is that pandemonium has constant windstorm so it's constantly whipping like gale force winds around mm-hmm so to be able to hear their howl through that is is a pretty impressive feat. Okay, cool. That's a nice precedent to set. I like that. Yeah. So this howl is used to confuse and flood the minds of their victims. It makes complex thought next to impossible. Victims can only really fumble for safety. And prolonged exposure to their their bays can lead to pure insanity. Now, is this under the assumption that your uh, th- this these effects happen whilst encountering one outside of pandemonium? So, I like I like the idea of like if they're in pandemonium, that that's they've developed this ability to howl because of how blustering and loud it is. So, when you encounter them outside of it, it's just like that much more jarring because there's nothing to mitigate it. Uh, I believe that this is regardless of where they are. These you you okay. will feel these effects. Yeah. I'm sure it's worse than a material plane to a, a being who's never experienced pandemonium and, and right. isn't prepared for that, but mm-hmm. who knows? Totally. Obviously, right away, I'm thinking concentration checks from that. No complex thoughts, you know. Right. Um, put a pin in that. We'll, uh, we'll do. We'll, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's actually a little, a little more vicious than that. Oh, Okay. Yeah, this howl will then often be used as the opening volley of combat and will really determine the outcome for a pack of howlers throughout the entire engagement. Like, if they can get this howl off and it messes with their opponents, they're probably going to win. Mm. And then as soon as they come within melee range, the quills in their back become erect and they attack with savage ferocity and focus. Do they, uh, if, uh, do you know if they, if the, their initial howl does not really jar the, uh, their, their target too, too much, do they re- then retreat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they, they do tend to use hit and run tactics after stunning their prey. When, if you encounter a solo one of these, they tend to be kind of non aggressive and cowardly. 
but they are that they they embody that savage ferocity when in a pack. Mm. And the younger kill quickly for the rush of terror felt at a violent death, but the older, smarter ones kill slowly, terrorizing and drawing out the victim's suffering. Oh, I have a little little reference for that you'll appreciate, I think, maybe. Perhaps a number of our listeners. You just reminded me of the Wheel of Time in that that, uh, sort of delicate balance of like bringing in the one power and like how it can be feel like a rush and you have to like stop yourself from taking in too much not that that's in play here but it's it's kind of a cool like comparison to the the those who first embrace it learn to embrace it and when they do and to those who like eventually learn to like stay it at the side and and learn to like you know appreciate it when they when it's of the most use and that sort of thing right and that's the female half of the power Syedine. Uh, yes, Sidine. I think it's Sidine. Yeah, I never. I can never remember if it's Sidine or Sidar. I don't. Yeah, I always mix them up too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just remind me that. I love. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. The Howlers, they're native to Pandemonium, as we've touched on, but they can be found in most lower planes and material planes. They uh, they're popular pets of fiends, hags, quasits, orcs, and succubi, which is a pretty inclusive list. Yeah, I'd say. I love that we've we've suddenly ever since we did hags we've just been finding things that are cohorts or or pets of hags. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did a good job doing those early. <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely a smart decision because they <laughs> appear to be in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good mistake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the the howler they can be trained to be war hounds or steeds. But they only tend to re- respond to brutal tactics. But once broken, they'll follow the new, you know, quote unquote, pack leader without any question, just like some more aggressive dog breeds. Yeah. They are prized by these beings, specifically hags and oryx, uh, for their ability to neutralize enemy spellcasters. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hell of a thing. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what we get in the 2E art there is, is that's the only, the only one that represents someone riding the creature, even though that creature is quite different from the rest. Um, yeah. You know, and that makes a lot of sense. It's just imagine having, like, your mount in combat is already an immensely useful, you know, tactic or, like, you know, tool to use. But the fact that it could stop pel- uh, spellcasters is, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in 2E and 4E, the greatest howlers serve uh, something called Death Giants, which... I don't know what that is, but that sounds fucking metal. I just made a face <laughs> of holy shit. <laughs> What's a death giant? <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, so I will send you... Uh, I only have one image here of a death giant. Um, and this is for from the ForgottenRealms.com. Uh, but it looks like essentially a vampire giant. And it just... It is just metal as hell. Oh my god, yeah. That axe it's wielding. Jeez. It looks like a like a oh man. I don't even know. <laughs> You're right. It's like a vampire giant meets almost hobgoblin. Oof. Yeah, sorry, I guess I should clarify. When I say vampire, don't think Twilight, think Nosferatu. <laughs> did you just did you just assume our listeners are mostly Twilight fans? <laughs> I mean if Anyone out there who's seen Nosferatu, period, full stop, 
should just write me for a virtual high five because I don't <laughs> think many people have seen it. How many people our age watch silent films? <laughs> I mean, I get that there was the remake in 1990, I want to say, with the typo negative soundtrack, which was fine. But like the original black and white silent film with Max Shrek was just... Uh, I think I might have just <laughs> fucked up. I don't know if it was Max Shrek anymore. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, it was. It's a fucking incredible movie. It yeah. does such a good job at setting the scene. Regardless, cool, cool idea. Very, very ungiant like in this in this artwork, even like in its traditional sort of like uh, style and theme. Um, yeah, it's something um, that's got to go on in the Instagram. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, we only have one honorable mention. Mm-hmm. That is the Howler Spike, which was a pet of Kressel Blackbones, uh, a half orc, half red dragon uh, from the Thunder Peaks from third edition. Ooh. A re- uh, ha- wait. Oh, a half dragon. Not like a. Okay. Half dragon is like their own species, right? Uh, Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're not a playable race in 5e, but they are a creature in 5e, a half-dragon. So it's not dragonborn, it's a half-dragon. Okay, and it made it with an orc. Oh, fuck, that's gnarly. That's something I don't think we've ever come across in 5e in particular. So this is a 3e thing? This is 3, yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. A, a very unimaginative name, I have to say. Spike. <laughs> but uh, but still cool. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I thought you meant Crystal Blackbones. I'm like, ah. Um, no, that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Spike of the quilled dog. It's kind of, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. Uh, and that appears in uh, Dragon Magazine, or Dungeon Magazine number 88 in the adventure, The Door from Everywhere, which we will have linked to a free copy in the show notes. Sweet. Love it. Uh, that's, that's it for D&D, and I hope you're ready for... For a relatively short cultural lord, <laughs> I surely am. I mean, that was all, that was all pretty good, you know. Not 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 super deep, but uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I like I I particularly love the 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 bit about the weather and pan, pandemonium and like just how that that that's still rocking my brain. So I like it. Yeah, and I like that they could like I like that they're specified as steeds too. I thought that was really cool. And what an interesting steed to have with, like, porcupine quills. There's got to be something extra there. I like it. Yeah. So in, in our world, um, I couldn't find any true inspirations for these. There there wasn't anything that really jumped out at me. Uh, so I figured um, that they're probably a combination of black dog folklore and howler monkeys. So I just sent you a photo of a black howler monkey. And earlier this week, I sent you a video that I told you was your homework, which was the sound of a black howler monkey. Oh, I did listen to that. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is straight up nightmare fuel. Yeah. Uh, so these creatures without vocal sacs, like the howler, can be heard from up to about five kilometers away. And they're said to be the loudest species on Earth. So they have, um, they have like this hollow bone where they create the resonance in their neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a common pet in Argentina, so there's, there's that. Pet. If you don't want a guard dog, you can have a you can have a black howler monkey. <laughs> Amazing, Super and they're cool. fucking adorable. And they are so. I was about to say they're yeah. so cute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's super cool. That's five kilometers away. I wonder what the decibel level is on that howl. I did not close. come across it, but that would have been a good thing okay. to research. Yeah, <laughs> if I was good at my job. I- <laughs> 
Here we are, professional researchers. Research this. Welcome to a new episode of Research This. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pretty much what the, our show is. The, the only reason I think of it is because I'm when I was quite young, I went to a, a specialist for my hearing. So I'm, I'm relatively deaf, and um, they uh, or I remember the specialist telling me that the loudest natural sound that our ears are evolved to is a waterfall. But we regularly exceed that decibel level with like loud music in our ears, with our headphones, and that sort of thing. Oh, I mean, even a rumbling truck is over that. Like we right, should even yeah. be standing next to like eighteen yeah. wheelers, like sirens and that sort of shit, right? Like I just yeah, that really stuck with me for a long time. Every time I hear something extremely loud, I, it sort of pops into my head in the background. I think that's that's a really fascinating fact that you know it just r- really emphasizes like how how far we've come in a short time, you know, yeah. during the industrial revolution and and that and that sort of thing, and and you know how our bodies have just not not caught up. Our our minds may have, but our bodies just certainly have not on an evolutionary level and i think that's really cool so that's what yeah. makes me think of like how, how exactly how loud is this monkey and i w- actually wonder what what if if you know in a geographical sense um to people that are are, are used to being around them are, do they have a sort of heightened you know level of resistance to sound even maybe uh i i don't know yeah just a passing um, so i just song. found it <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, how so? For reference, a jet engine at takeoff is about 150 decibels, which is loud enough to shred your eardrums. Wicked. A howler monkey can reach up to 140 decibels. What? Oh, holy shit! <laughs> yeah. So one of these could sh- could straight up deafen you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the loudest animal is a uh, blue whale, which is 188 decibels. It can be heard 160 kilometers away. My God, that really to give a to have a really nice real world reference point for the howl on this creature that we're going to cover pretty soon. <laughs> like that's really fucking cool. Like that's yeah. terrifying. That's actually terrifying. Okay, I'm thoroughly enthused now. Uh, continue. <laughs> Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I guess if you want to learn any more about the black dog folklore, we've covered most of it um, mm, yeah. in episode four, Hellhounds, 22, Yeth Hounds, and 39, Shadow Massive. There's still a little bit left to cover the black dog folklore, but you're going to have to sit on that because that will be done with bar guests. Fair enough. The only other thing I wanted to touch on was the vocal sack because it's so prominent in the 5e art Um it just it 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 seems mm. worth touching on. Yeah. So it it's found this specific type of vocal sac is found in many frog species and is used to amplify mating calls. Okay, I've I just sent a picture of a frog with a vocal sac in the in the chat. So frogs right. without oh, right. a vocal sac can be heard from about one to two meters away. Frogs with a vocal sac can be heard about a kilometer away. So this one appendage can amplify the radius of your sound between 500 times and a thousand times makes you wonder if people like Pavarotti have a hidden vocal sack (laughs) 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 unbelievable that's unbelievable it's so crazy and that's uh that's pretty much it okay for um just a bunch of stuff that i made up and a bunch of stuff that i thought was interesting like i cannot (laughs) tell you for a fact that this was based on the howler monkey but based on the fact that it screams at people and it's got a simian face kind of says that it is yeah (laughs) 
I oh, so cool. That that howl, the whole the whole vocal sack thing, it's got me roped in now, big time. Um really cool. Really, really neat. I, I legitimately think this is a fantastic creature. Uh, mm. I, I think uh, as usual, the thing that I find the best about creature uh, the the D D creatures is whether or not the lore adds up to the mechanics. And this we will, is always we will our breaking find point, out isn't it? <laughs> in a couple of seconds here after our scheduled ad break. So Freeman, I have a, I have a confession to make today. Oh no, you haven't. Um, I just straight up forgot to buy beer, <laughs> um, which believe it or not, would not happen if we were legitimately sponsored by strange fellows, delicious black mail step. Yeah, that's so very bad. Instead, <laughs> I have been drinking sake and uh twin sales juice plus IPA. Uh, which is also very delicious. Also a Vancouver brewery. The sake is not. It is the cheapest sake money can buy, and I love it. Shut your <laughs> mouth down at me. I mean, this would not be the first time that uh, we uh, didn't crack. At least one of us didn't crack a blackmail for this. Uh, my Mine was the first bad, although I did say later on that it turns out I did have a four-pack in the back of my right, fridge. Right, you had it in the back of the fridge, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but this is a truly true failure. You don't have a four pack in the back of your fridge, do you? <laughs> uh, nope. No, I look. <laughs> you don't. You're not fucked up. Um, yeah, that's all right. I mean, I won't. I won't lie. Every time we've cracked a beer, it's not always been a blackmail. But I can honestly say I've drunk at least a blackmail during a recording every time, except for that one time. Um, yeah, fair enough. And I, I think this is my second time not having a blackmail. But okay. You just kept it to yourself until now? <laughs> no, I think I said it on air. Oh, um, I remember. Yeah. I mean, regardless, regardless, it's Strange Fellows bad for not sponsoring yeah, this us. Is, what I'm saying is that this is their fault. They could have free advertising if they just would give up, you know, like $40 a month. Right. I mean, we're looking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Any any other Vancouver or BC-based breweries, uh, you want to you wanna sponsor us with? Two four packs per month. You can have Strange Fellows ad spot as long as it's uh, as good as the blackmail stuff. <laughs> I was like, you better have a fucking follow up for that. <laughs> Just gonna put an open call for that? I don't think so. <laughs> well, we can't win them all. Let's just assume that you've drunk all your blackmail before we started recording because I was late. All right, we'll do that. That makes me happy. <laughs> All right. Speaking of drinking, bring us to the mechanics. Okay. These are not a light creature. They are a CR8. Okay. With 90 HP and 16 natural armor. I was kind of hoping they'd be a bit higher, even though they are possibly a mount. I really wanted them to be a badass mount. And they they kind of really are. <laughs> um, they're... The more I read about them, the more I, I realize that these are not a creature to be thrown in lightly. Like, you do not throw four of these at a party of 10, level 10 PCs. Like, you, I just don't know if you could do it. Mm. Uh, but let's get there. They are large fiends, chaotic evil. They understand, but do not speak abyssal. Or, sorry, they are resistant to cold, fire, lightning, and uh, non-magical basic. They are straight up immune to frighten, and they have 60 feet of dark vision. Cool. 
Stats are nothing to really write home about. Strength 17, Dex 16, Con 15, 20 Wisdom, which is great because that, you know, it, it reflects how smart these creatures really are. Mm-hmm. Abilities, they're fine. Um, the first one here is Pack Tactics, or sorry, the only one is Pack Tactics, which gives you advantage if an ally is within five feet, not incapacitated. So they are, they're meant to be thrown at you as, uh, as pack creatures. Okay, and they have a multi-attack, so they make two bite attacks. Their bite attack is called Rending Bite. It's not actually a straight-up bite attack. Okay. It is plus six to attack, five-foot reach, 2d6 plus three piercing. Seems low for an a, a CR8, though. 2d6 yep. is not low, but plus three is pretty low. But if the target is frightened, they do an extra 4d10 psychic damage. Hot damn. <laughs> That's that's no longer low at all. It's extremely high. Yeah. <laughs> that's in addition. The, that's in addition. Yeah, this oh attack ignores DR. It, it. Wait, the bite or the the psychic or the the bite. The whole attack just straight up ignores damage resistance. So not even a barbarian is gonna resist this one. Nope, taking the whole thing. Okay, everyone, everyone, five V barbarians are overpowered. That it, this is a known thing. <laughs> Um, use this creature. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. That'll put the fear of the gods in them for sure. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, 4d6 plus 6 piercing per round, possibly an extra 8d10 psychic. Insane. Uh, just going straight through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and their last attack here is what you've all been waiting for. It is the mind-breaking howl. So this is a recharge on a six. It is a 60-foot cone. Cone, okay. Yeah, DC 16, wisdom save, or frightened until the end of the howler's next turn. Okay. Usual 5e bullshit, successive immune for 24 hours, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to the frightened condition, for those of you who need a reminder, frightened means you have disadvantage on ability and attacks, and you cannot move closer to the thing that's frightening you. Your speed is halved. So even if you're trying to run away as a barbarian, you only move half speed. Mm-hmm. You are incapacitated, which means you cannot take actions or reactions. So you can only move half speed away from this thing. So frightened is pretty brutal. Yeah. Okay. That's not frightened. That's in addition to being frightened. Oh, frightened is just disadvantage shit. on ability and attacks, and you can't move closer. In addition to that, <laughs> your speed is halved, oh, okay. and you are incapacitated. So your only action, if you fail this DC sixteen wisdom save, is to move away at half speed from this creature. Otherwise, it is going to hit you with two of those two d six plus forty ten plus six attacks. That just straight up ignored DR. If you want to kill a barbarian, this is the creature to do. <laughs> Literally, like, stop them in their tracks. They can barely move away and just, even if they're raging, just maul them to death. <laughs> That's so good. Can I, can you just slide one of these in to our Rhyme of the Frostbitten <laughs> campaign and kill Michael? That'd be amazing. <laughs> he doesn't listen to the show. I know he doesn't. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna say no, uh, <laughs> but I am on the on record on this show as saying I'm gonna run that as close to as book as possible, so I have a fair yeah. 
that's uh, fair. That, fair yeah, reference sure. point. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so far, all I've done is rewrite the descriptions. I've even right. I've yeah. even tracked the HP of the encounters. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a hell of a thing. Um, I find I guess I guess I get the cone thing, but I feel like I feel like I would give it like the I think I think it was the banshee that had the I don't know if it was on five E, but it might have been I think it was in three E possibly. Or 3.5, where they had the option of a 30-foot radius versus, or a 60-foot cone. They could, like, sort of directional – create a different direction for it. Um, oh, gotcha. So, immediately, I would maybe add that. Because if it's going to be that kind of loud, there's almost no reason why it would be purely directional. But maybe they could have the option. Uh, I'll tell you why it's purely directional, and that's just straight up to nerf it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, based based on the lore, this thing should be heard from a kilometer away. Mm-hmm. Like it should have the same right. range as the harpies, which I think is five hundred feet. And based on what we've seen uh, by the frogs in real life using the vocal sac to amplify their mating call, it shouldn't just be sixty feet. Like it should be six hundred yeah. feet. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no. Well, it's not about necessarily being heard, but rather having that that uh, that sound having a physical effect on you, right? So, I mean, it's still it's still a too short a distance. I'm with you, but you know, sixty foot cone is sort of a standard number to use, and that's it, it's within that uh, range that it has a a physical um, uh, impact on you, right? Uh, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that at the end of the day, you know, without getting too too pedantic about it. I'd be um, fine with the 60-foot cone if you were not immune on a success because now we're yeah. nerfing the distance, we're nerfing its mm-hmm. ability to do the attack with the recharge, and now we're nerfing its success. That mm-hmm. that really bugs me to my soul. Yeah. But it's, I mean, when you start running the numbers, and 5 is not known for its perfect numbers, but when you start running the numbers, is when you start when you start playing with that too much, you really can TPK a party real easy by mistake. I mean, you don't. You never want yeah. to do it by mistake, right? Um, no, no. So, but so I'm with I you. Yeah. I, I get. I get that success is immune. Like that's fine with this. I'm. I'm normally fine with the success is immune. I'm normally fine with the sixty foot cone, and I'm fine with the recharge. It's just all three of them together. Um, I I don't like. Because now you're nerfing every aspect of this creature that should be a a horrifying beast. I'll tell you what, okay, I, we're done with the stat block, is that right? Yeah, we're in that's we're it. in the homebrew now? Okay. We're in the homebrew. I'll tell you what I would do. Is that if you so I don't hundred percent know how I do this, but I, I what I would what I would say is maybe add a deafened effect in here, and I know that's like adding on to this already beast thing. But the deafened effect is what makes you immune. Or rather, if you find a way to mute sound, such as the silent spell or what have you, that's what creates you immune. But just like hearing a howl and then succeeding a save, in this case, a wisdom save? It's not even a constitution save. It should be a constitution save. Um, uh, Actually, so that's what we're talking about. We're we're talking about two different things here, actually, now, now I think about it. A wisdom save is against frightened. And now I'm thinking about the physical effects on you, the physical yeah. impact, which should be a constitution save. So I almost wonder if this should have both or in some strange order of operations, one to the other. Uh, it's 
off the on the fly it's hard to hard to get my head around i guess yeah i i i know where you're coming from and i think you're right um so i would just remove the success from if immune um and i would change it to a constitution save because of all the things that you've said if you're within 60 feet of something that can be heard from you know a, a kilometer away through the howling winds of pandemonium this isn't a mental effect this is a physical thing this thing is liquefying your organs mm. in your body and that's why your speed is half that's why you're incapacitated that's why you're frightened yeah. right so being within 60 feet of this thing is the danger zone recharge yeah. it on a six i'm fine with 16 wisdom save i'm fine with 60 foot cone i'm fine with but i think you need to remove that success if if you're if uh or you're immune if if you roll a successful save because you're not you shouldn't be because you're still within 60 feet of this thing you're still within its attack range to liquefy your lungs with Mm -hmm. its howl and i think that's and and a constitution save fits that because we're not playing with mental fortitude here we're playing with like, I get that it's a wisdom save because it's a frightened condition, yada, yada, yada. It's literally um, called mind-breaking howl as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, fine, but change right. the name. Just change the name to breaking totally. howl. Yeah. Like, okay, you know what? I, I, think I, I think I've sorted out maybe what I would like to do. Um, okay, I've amped loud I, enough? Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> and I'm with you. I'm with you. Um I think what I would do is change what it is right now. I wouldn't. Cha- I would change what it is right now to a con save, and not frightened, but deafened. Okay. And then I w- and then I would add an alternate option. Still, to keep the recharge six. Keep it a bit mitigated. Add the uh, the alternate option of doing it the thirty foot burst, thirty foot radius. But then that's when it's a wisdom save, and that's when it's a frightened. So like, keep that in the stat block, even if you don't feel like it makes a whole lot of sense. But keep it original. Keep it. Keep it to the original. But a sixty foot cone, a more directional attack, something that's that's like they they, they clearly have more intent behind, uh, and just like they're pushing it towards these creatures in this spot, as opposed to anyone around me, and that has a more physical effect. So that's why it's a con save. That's why it's deafened. And then the deafened could maybe transfer over. If you're deafened, then you know while that has a downside to for a number of reasons, it at least makes you immune to the possibility of of being frightened if they try a different tactic. And then like you're almost depending on how you run your game and how you like feed the information to your players. Some people play you know very close to the chest. Some people very 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 open. Um, but uh, uh, you know the tactics. But like if you have that sort of dynamic. Uh, with the 60-foot cone versus the 30-foot radius and the different types of uh, of checks and results, um, you could you suddenly find yourself fighting a creature where you're like, I have the whole group has to stay spread out, surround it, but also stay in a middling range because that cone, if you stay too far away, that cone can cover too far a distance, um, and it becomes this really interesting, I think, in theory, a really interesting tactical sort of map that I'm picturing uh, of where you need to stand to be the safest, the most effective um, for the whole party. And I think that would be a really crazy way of doing that. Not to mention the fact that you might be facing this creature that's trying to do melee attacks and have someone on its back. Um, It's like when you really pull it all together and if you were to add these things, um, the, the CR of this creature skyrockets to something extraordinarily complex which is not whatever a dm wants but uh 
it has this incredible, possibly incredible depth to it, uh, and uh, might might make for a really, really interesting and harrowing and crazy combat for your players. End rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you're you're not wrong at all. I I like where you're taking it. It's just not where I personally want it to go. I want this thing to be like a sound weapon. Right. You want it to be sonic. Uh, yeah, I do. I really do. I yeah. want this thing to be terrifying um, and and horrible because I just I the the way that this creature is built with that um, vocal sack with its ability to to give it directional force like that's what I want out of it. I also just went back over the stat block and it is uh and it does say that it's immune to all of the mind-breaking howls from any howler for the next 24 hours. So even if you fight a pack of these things, oh. it's not just one that you're so immune to. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. All of them. I don't like that at all. No. And I get that like this thing is intentionally nerfed, and I'm sure it's intentionally nerfed for a reason. I've never run one, so unfortunately I don't have real combat expertise to, to add to this. But uh, again, at this point, as a veteran 5e DM, I I know my party would obliterate this thing. It's got fucking 16 oh, AC, yeah. 90 HP. Like, you guys aren't even 8th level. You're 6th, 5th level, and you would fucking destroy this thing. Right. This uh, uh, it's, That is such a downside, eh? Like, the the fact that this, this creature is so badass, but it doesn't stand a chance. There's something wrong there, right? Um, yeah. You know what? You, you, you might add, is that, because... Now that you said that, it makes me think that there are very few con saves in 5e that don't involve disease or poison, which is definitely yep. a mistake. Um, and that sort of sonic element, which is represented through thunder damage uh, in 5e, so uh, thunderclap and thunder wave and that sort of thing, they just don't happen often enough, I don't think. Uh, and I think this is a really great way to do it. And I think thunder is a terrible word for it. I think if they purposely went out of their way to like make it not the word Sonic because it's yeah, Sonic's you know, very futuristic, right? But it's like a futuristic def a word or definition. But rather than you know, thunder is like you know a little bit more medieval esque or something like that. So I get why yeah. they've used it, but it's uh, um, I don't see why it wouldn't be incorporated here like why they couldn't just admit the fact that thunder is sonic and right here is where they howl so hard it actually hurts you and does yep. thunder and or sonic damage and that might be just another simple alternate way of like really making this creature dangerous and again maybe maybe play with the 60 foot cone and the 30 foot radius and choose one to do damage and one to do the the effect of uh, uh of frightened or what have you um, but like that's an alternate option as well. Yeah, I I love that. I love that mm. there there would be options. But I'm not I'm not making I'm when I do these things I I'm not often trying to make them better for you or for me. I'm trying to make them better to somebody's run it for the first time. Right. And I think you're yeah. right with the thunder damage. But remove the whiz save. Make that a con save. Remove the success uh, the immunity after a success, and change the damage. Um, well, it doesn't matter, but it, I would change the damage. No, I, I wouldn't change the damage of the rending bite from psychic to thunder. I would just leave it as psychic. I don't. I don't care. It genuinely um, feels like the only reason it's a wisdom save is because of the frightened condition. Because the I speed believe that's exactly why. Yeah, the speed have and the incapacitated are like such physical reactions. 
Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this isn't about you being scared. This is about your 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 organs liquefying. Because yeah, at loud temperatures, <laughs> they will yeah. do that. Yeah, or uh, sorry, are, at loud volumes, is, they will do that. Like, the, you can vibrate lungs yeah. in your body so hard that they liquefy. Like, this is what Insane. that's doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, it just it feels like a slight misstep, and again, that really that Im- that immunity on a successful save really bugs me because it doesn't really reflect the power coming from this creature, and that that's where where it bugs me is. I get I get why it's there. Um, yeah, I normally ignore that rule anyway. So <laughs> totally, like uh, if you're not improving as a GM and and making slight rules to fly and trying to make it fair, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, as Matthew Koval says and is and loves to say, encounter design does not end at initiative. You are continu- right. it is your job to continually change and and edit that encounter even as it's going yeah. to make it more interesting and more fun for your players. Yeah. And for my players, I don't know what it is about you guys or your party synergy, but every, it feels like every encounter that I do not change a la minute is too easy for you. And that's that's not fun for anyone. I mean, we've we've had some great encounters in Ravnica Frostmaiden, and you know, over the years, um, but uh, it's usually the ones that uh, put us closer to death's door that are the most memorable, right? The encounters in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden that you guys have had more of a challenge with are the encounters that I'm playing. Like, I'm not letting the creatures play; right. I'm playing. Right. And I, I don't yeah. know if you know the difference there, but. I mean, I I never assume as we're going, so I don't I don't I don't like analyze it and 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 try to figure it out because that will pull me out of the out of the uh, the moment, right? So I, I right. assume nothing. I, the only the only one that really stands out is is you know spoiler alert uh, fighting you know uh, the Elithids. Um right? And I was messaging Michael like, "You're gonna die." <laughs> You know, but yeah. that's only because I knew what the creature could possibly do, and he was already three steps in to like possibly dying. So I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. you know, everything else has been kind of easy breezy. Even though I, my character's gone down multiple times, but I'm like, "Eh, it's five years." Yeah. <laughs> right. So anything with an intelligence over ten, I play, yeah. and I play okay. them very tactically and intelligently. And they move right. around the battlefield. They change things. The the state of the encounter changes. Anything with an intelligence under 10 just goes for the, the whatever hurt it the most right. last. And that's yeah. how I've always run my encounters. <laughs> and you guys only ever have troubles with the, with the ones that I play. Like mm-hmm. when there's when there right. is that element of intelligence in there. Mm-hmm. You know what you could do? And, and this is, uh, I guess, a sidebar. Maybe you do or do not do it. I don't know. But uh, consider wisdom as well, but in a survival sense. You know, survival tactics sense. So it's like, what creature am I playing? How high is their wisdom? And will they run away or will they turn into a cornered dog? You know, and like, what can I, what can I add to that encounter as well? But, um, but otherwise, like, I think that's a great strategy, like a super great strategy. And I do, I do tend to play wisdom. Um, the higher the wisdom, the more likely you guys are to get ambushed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is a wisdom 20 creature. 
So if you guys were ever yeah. to fight howlers, it would never be one howler. It would be three or four, and you and they they would lead you into an ambush. They would kite you into like a valley where they could cone down on you. So instead of it being one howler unleashing one cone, it would be four howlers unleashing four cones into like this valley. And they, they would like I would use proper military tactics to kite you into their ground. Um, and you know that's what the higher intelligence or the higher wisdom means to me. It's not like like an intelligent creature and a and a wise creature, um, they'll both flee. But a creature with low wisdom will also flee. But a creature with lower and in, higher intelligence will flee sooner. And that that's how I how I've always run it. Um, just a lot of the time when I realize that my creatures are going down, there's either an opportunity for them to make one last desperate vengeful attack um or they start to run and you guys murder them yeah (laughs) we are tend to be a murder hobo group (laughs) uh you're a fucking great group though i love playing with you guys it is fun yeah (laughs) i love that you guys do refuse to play as a team like just absolutely (laughs) refuse to and still somehow manage to absolutely just dominate this adventure seriously like there's no synergy there's never any planning there's no talking before an engagement you don't scout anything it's like oh kick down the door and murder everything it's yeah. fine yeah. and you always do you almost almost always do yeah it is a one of a kind no it's probably probably many of a kind dime a dozen kind of style of play but it is it is fun it is it you guys is are really good at it is my point like right the yeah. amount of Even character sheets i have in my kill drawer yeah. <laughs> uh, should be so much higher based on the style of your play. Seriously. If we if we played that way in Pathfinder, we'd be fucked. <laughs> yeah. And you and I know that at this point, especially. For sure. Know? Yeah, like, yeah. If you if you're not if you're not thinking about it, if you're not playing it right, you're gonna get screwed. Yeah. Um, but what about you guys? Have you guys used a howler? Um what what kind of tactics, if any, do your parties use when it comes to creatures like this? Uh, you know, sh- throw us a message. We're on Twitter and Facebook at EncounterPod. We're on Instagram at Encounter.Pod. Uh, if you really like this episode and you want to help us keep making them, uh, you want a handwritten letter or access the show notes, $5 a month will get you there. $10 a month, you can suggest a creature so you can get us started on that goblin suite with the bar guests or, I don't know, maybe there's some other creature in 5e with a vocal sack that I don't know about or there's there's a, a loud simian that we, we haven't covered. <laughs> uh, $10 a month will get us to do it. I mean, you know, it, it could be Chewbacca's howl from uh, <laughs> uh, Star Wars Scoundrels. We'll cover any creature from any system. We don't know what we're doing. doesn't matter. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> If you want to check out any of those uh, those old episodes, the Hellhounds, the Yethounds, uh, the Shadow Mastiff for um, more info on the Black Dog folklore, you can find all that stuff at EncounterThis.ca. Uh, and you can always shoot us an email at info at EncounterThis.ca and please rate and review on your podcast of choice because it really does help with our placement in the store and getting new, new listeners I'm so tired. <laughs> so sweaty. Oh man, me too. This was a good episode, though. I like this. Yeah, this, this one was one. fun. We hit mechanics about th- at the 30 minute mark, and now we're in almost an hour in. <laughs> Same with Oni. Exact same fuck's, thing happened with Oni. This is like this is like how I do creatures now. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.